Well, ahoy, hoy, scorekeepers. Welcome aboard. <laughs> it's time for your favorite podcast, The Score. As always, I am Rocky, and I'm here with my two amazing co-hosts, the fabulous Lee Bynum. Hello, Lee Bynum. Hello. <laughs> and of course, Paige Reynolds, Iyabo Inawale. Hello. How are you? Hello, Governor. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> we're, 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 so so this is actually funny because like I know that like our iPhones are listening to us. <laughs> because I always I, I always torture my husband um because in seventh grade we did a production of Oliver and Oh dear. and it was between me and this little white blonde boy for oliver school was not ready for a black oliver i guess (laughs) (laughs) but i always torture him by singing where is love in my where is love (laughs) and then he came into the kitchen and um a, a child singing um where is love was given to him by the algorithm <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and so just so all of this cockney i'm just being surrounded by cockney this week it's very strange <laughs> but anyway sorry how are you how's how's what's going on what's new what's happening oh you know out here in the mm. world yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out here in the world I feel like I'm really really busy especially trying to um get this uh doula training done that me yes yes are... how is it going it's going great it's going great it's just you know crunch time getting the curriculum done so I'm hunched over a laptop quite a bit these days um you know just trying to find time for joy movement having my eyes away from a screen (laughs) in between time so yeah that's me no I feel you it has been a wild couple of weeks (laughs) um you know just crazily busy and the show opening Don Giovanni opening last week and um you know just family drama and just yeah, just trying to keep my head above water, trying to drink as much water as I can, mind my mm-hmm. business, get outside, move <laughs> my body. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's. <laughs> and what's going on with you, Lee? None of those things. I'm I'm literally oh. just sitting over here, <laughs> not drinking enough water and not going anywhere to to move my body. Um, but well, rest is important too. Rest is is very very important, and so is uh, seeing shows, and that's yes. been like like the one of the great joys of being back and working at an organization where there are are literally dozens of shows happening every week like i've been seeing seeing shows like three nights a week um, what are some of the the great shows that you've seen yeah, or well maybe not maybe they're not all great but <laughs> 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 what are some of the shows so. you've seen? <laughs> every now and then one is great so i will talk um i'll, I'll share about two shows because i i really have um a, a couple of things that have like made a big impression on me. So on Broadway this past week, 
I saw a show called The Thanksgiving Play hmm. by a playwright named Larissa Fasthorse. It is believed that uh, it yes. is yes, it is perhaps the first play on Broadway ever written by an indigenous woman. Um, and that's kind of wild. It it is kind of wild. And wait, it, the first? Yeah, but yeah. what? Right. Oh my God! Yeah. Welcome to America. <laughs> oh, um, do better! Wow! <laughs> wow! Well, wow, 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 wow. she has done um, a, a really amazing thing. The play is a satire about a group of white people who have won a grant to hold <laughs> space for the indigenous community by putting on a play about the first Thanksgiving. Oh, um, and the wow. play is held at an elementary <laughs> school and and it's absolutely brilliant and ridiculous and absurd and upsetting, especially for any of us who have worked for any amount of time in the inclusion, diversity, equity and access space. Uh, um, mm -hmm. And it really pokes <laughs> holes that a, a lot of the, the, the limitations of white allyship, I, I think that's a really diplomatic way of of putting it right and you know just the sort of setup of you know four white people in an in a classroom obviously like at a, a middle or high school putting on a play about thanksgiving for elementary kids and them trying to figure out you know how to address the erasure of native americans and in, in a way that's also really really hilarious and thoughtful so i recommend um Hey, if you are in the New York area, you should see it. It's a, like 90 minutes. So that's a, a great amount of time, right? You, you, you're not investing your whole weekend in it. And to other people who may be in a, in a position to produce theater in other places, I highly recommend uh, producing this play. I actually think it would do really well in the Twin Cities, both mm -hmm. given the general engagement with Native American culture there and and also you know the the ways that these issues show up in a lot of organizations right and and i think yeah. there are lessons for all of us in kind of seeing honestly the absurdity of of of, of trying to have certain kinds of conversations without the presence of of groups of people who are at the the very crux of what the issue is right and and i i <laughs> It, it was it, there, there were so many very eye-opening moments and i was i saw the the show with a friend of mine who heads an organization um an arts organization and you know she's a very very thoughtful and and patient and committed leader um who you know alongside me when we were walking out like we we really did get to examine a lot of our beliefs and practices and ask each other to what ex extent are we working towards solutions and, and where are the places where we ourselves may be problems, right? Like mm -hmm. where is our own uh, myopia sort of showing up and, and limiting the, the good decision-making. So I, I really appreciated it. And I am now a huge fan of Larissa Fasthorse. Mm. What did um, you say? The limitations of white allyship? <laughs> yes. and you, say, you say, I have a gift for understatement. <laughs> no that sounds amazing i totally want to see that i hope yes, you do yeah. hope it comes here yes you do oh my goodness and 
Larissa, if you are out there listening, we want you to be on the show. Even if we book mm-hmm. guests for the rest of the season, we will figure it out because um, this was, it was so wonderful and so conversation worthy. Um, and speaking of wonderful conversation worthy pieces by people of color, I also got to see Champion um, playing at the, it's since closed, but playing at the Metropolitan Opera um, with a cast of extraordinarily talented Black singers primarily, and also the great Stephanie Blythe, who is extraordinarily talented and not Black. Um, Really thoughtful, challenging, uncomfortable, beautiful, devastating show based on the life of Emil Griffin, a West Indian boxer um, in the first half of the 20th century. Um, And it also explores his relationships with men, as well as with women, as well as his very complicated relationship with his mother and and sort of the ways that boxing opened a certain amount of space for his personhood and also just the realities of being queer and black and an immigrant um, at any point in history. complicates anybody's life right um but it was really fascinating um seeing it multiple times gave me an opportunity to come at it from really different vantage points um and i you know actually also got to meet terrence blanchard after one of them which was sort of a, a dream come true i didn't get to go into detail about um how much i loved every score he ever wrote for every Spike Lee movie. Um, but it was just <laughs> kind of an amazing experience. And um, Latanya Moore and Ryan Speedo Green and Eric Owens and Christy Swan and others are, are giving really beautiful performances. Um, it, it does my old ticker good to see um, this piece with this particular subject matter on stage at the Met and to know that because of Mr. Blanchard, we have two important pieces that have been entered into the performing canon um, about Black queer topics. And that's mm-hmm. not a thing that I was expecting um, to see in the opera at this particular juncture, um, but I'm super excited um, about that bit of movement and you know, thinking about some of the commissions coming um, with, you know, Jesse Montgomery and Missy Mazzoli and other people, just kind of where programming at the Met is going to go. And I'm super excited about it and glad I'm right next door and can walk over anytime I want and plop my behind in a seat and, <laughs> and get a little bit of uh, culture and perhaps Black culture on a given night at the Metropolitan Opera. Look at Yay, that. Come on go now. us. <laughs> you'd love to see it absolutely you'd love to see it no, it's that's... a new day yes it is <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of queerness and exciting news what was this about the gender categories being being eliminated well, um, there has been a push the last couple of seasons, especially probably literally everywhere, but certainly in the New York theater community to eliminate the the gender categories from the major theater awards, right? Mm, so mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, your, your best actor, best actress kind of a thing, 
you're now seeing more awards with like outstanding lead performance in a play, outstanding lead performance mm -hmm. in a musical, right? So you have, you know, actors, irrespective of, of what their gender identity is in the same categories, acknowledging that we are no longer being served. I don't know if we were ever being served, right? But you know, that it just really doesn't make sense in the current environment to have this kind of rigidity when we ourselves don't have this kind of rigidity, right? I mean, we, the, between the, the three of us on this podcast, each of us has mm -hmm. our own perspectives about our gender identification, right? And if this is the case just with the three of us, and if you think about the entire expanse of the New York performing community. I can like, only imagine. Yeah, it's so <laughs> overdue. So you saw it this year with the uh, Lucille Lortel Awards, which recognize, um, performances off-Broadway and you saw it with the Drama Desk Awards that do Broadway and off-Broadway. Not yet with the Tony Awards, but we can certainly keep thinking about it and keep pushing and, and keep advocating for that kind of a change. Um, but I think seeing that it can be done will go a long way to dismantling the the straw man where people are saying but what what happens if you have a, a man and a woman in the same category I mean, <laughs> everything will explode right right <laughs> exactly i mean we we have managed to process this in other kinds of categories where i don't know a, a male director and a, a woman director and a non-binary director could all be nominated in the same category and what? Yeah, right huh? <laughs> the sun will still come up and go down as it typically does right? <laughs> so i am taking this little piece of progress and you know this week allowing that to erase the memories of having to see certain people who used to be president popping back on my TV. Oh, Lord. I, I, I didn't ask for that. Didn't ask for it. Didn't want it. Um, no, Lee, I was, I went a whole 24 hours without thinking about that. Well, <laughs> imagine being... <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Well, I will take this little bit of progress <laughs> however I can get it. So that is, that's one yeah. of the things. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I think... It's, you know, it looks like it has enough of a, maybe a trend, some momentum, mm -hmm. some pressure being applied, you know, we'll see this elsewhere. So, yay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I also feel like um, probably it'll make a difference once folks realize how many truly excellent artists are gender diverse mm -hmm. and how except in your little award to a lot of us <laughs> it's just not worth getting misgendered everybody say that like mm -hmm. to a lot of us it's just not going it's not worth going up on stage in front of everybody getting misgendered it's just it it feels pretty terrible yeah. so when you realize that and people keep you know declining invitations or whatnot or declining nominations then I feel like it'll it'll make sense. It'll hit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of amazing queer artists, we have one on the show today. I'm so excited. Um, 
this um this was an artist that I met when I was up in Vancouver last fall and she is just brilliant and amazing and funny and I think you all are so going to enjoy spending the next few minutes with Morgan Page Melbourne who is just an inter uh, she's an interdisciplinary artist composer pianist child prodigy at three years old like what <laughs> that girl yes. <laughs> absolutely and just has just a ton of just amazing insights about the industry and about education and um the way that she approaches her art um and so Cannot wait to share this interview with all of you. So stay tuned and we'll be right back with the fabulous Morgan Page Melbourne. All right, everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a good break. Um, we are so excited today to have our next guest on the show. Um, this is a wonderful, wonderful artist and just all around just like cool human being that I got to meet um, when I was up in Vancouver. Um, if you were able to catch um, the panel or the podcast that Vancouver Opera um, put out a couple of months ago, you have already heard her brilliance. Um, but today on the show, we have Morgan Page Melbourne. <laughs> so excited. Hello, hello. <laughs> so as an explorer of human nature, Morgan Page Melbourne is a queer interdisciplinary artist based in Toronto, Ontario. Raised in a household of professional touring musicians, she and the piano became inseparable at age three. We're talking child prodigy child. Um, today, with this um, great ingrained love of music, um, there is no particular genre that she sticks with, um, which with experiences ranging from scoring short films to solo performances, her work and story were featured in Music Works magazine winter 2020-2021 issue, um, The Whole Note magazine, Ludwig von Toronto and Toronto Guardian. Past projects include Ben Chicken Film Collaboration with Toronto Dance Theatre and Alyssa Martin, The Magic Wallet Short Film, Mission uh, Sankofa Short Film, Hillside Insides, The Sound of Light, Where Do I Go Short Film with Tapestry Opera and Rock Bottom Movement, 21C Music Festivals, New Music in a New World, a commissioned work and performance for Suoni Per Il Popolo, I am so sorry if I mispronounced that, <laughs> sound art installation, My Ancestor Summons Me at Mocha Toronto, and so, so, so many other things. Um, and, uh, oh, and uh, I cannot miss the world premiere of her improv improvisational work, a time to exist in Kerner Hall and wavelength summer thing, um, opening for uh, headliner backwash. Am I saying that right, or is it back xwash? Backwash, you got that backwash. right. All right, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but on top of that, um, just a wonderful, brilliant, black, amazing artist, and we are so just honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here, Morgan. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me on. Of I'm course. so excited for this. 
Of course, of course. So, I mean, we mentioned um, at the top of that bio that you found your love for music and piano and performance at age three. That's incredible. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about that and like your family and and what it was like growing up in a musical household and how you came to find this this great love for the piano oh, for classical? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so I'm the youngest of three kids. And my parents are originally from Bahamas. My dad, um, he was Jamaican, but then moved to Bahamas when he was really young. And when my parents were in high school, it's the whole situation of like, oh, no, love him or hate him. What's going on here? So like at first, my mom can stand my dad. Um, but then over <laughs> the years, they just started building this wonderful connection. Um, but they started off with their own band because they saw each other perform in their school choirs and their school bands. And my dad had a best friend um, who he was really connected with and who was a keyboardist. So towards their late teens, early 20s, that's when they started um, building up their own band called Cherokee Rose and they had a manager and they toured around quite quite a bit um, so that was actually one of the ways how they were able to immigrate to Canada um, was because of touring and getting all a lot of the gigs in a lot of resorts within Ontario but still touring around Canada for a bunch of their works and so they did all kinds of music pretty much every single genre that you could think of um because a lot of the times they did covers of various songs they were house bands a lot of times but they still performed a lot of their own works and so they were really known for that for quite a while and this is well over many 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 years ago and so um when my siblings came around um they also got a chance to to experience some of the tour life with them a little bit um i didn't yet <laughs> I, was, I was too i was too little i was towards i i came around when they were in the retiring age a little bit of touring and so they eventually changed their name from cherokee rose to m2p when they released their albums and so it was a lot of it was definitely a lot more of r&b and reggae and pop that was kind of something that they geared towards um towards the end before their band went on hiatus and so when i came along that's like kind of just what i got to see and got to grow up in and as well as my siblings are also musicians too so it was just like arts and music and definitely definitely something I'm super grateful to have been around for sure because I because it's, it's hard to imagine like what what could I have done outside of that like I don't know <laughs> I have no idea um <laughs> but it was but it was it was really it was definitely a blessing for sure and I think uh what I have been told because I don't have that many memories of anything past three or before three four years old I mean like we're literally babies um but I was I was told that when one of our um at the time we were part of a church and one of the members who was a close family of ours um had a piano that she just wanted to get rid of and she wanted to give it to us because we didn't have an acoustic piano at the at home at the time and so when I was three I I it was I was it was told to, it was said to me that I was just I just gravitated gravitated to the piano just automatically and just started just randomly making up just randomly making up random random things on the piano you know 
And then eventually they decided to just put me right into lessons right away. So I was a part of like a young children's music group um, that was part of like group lessons and everything. And so they taught us how to write songs, how to write music. And so I did that from like ages like three to five. And then that's when we ended up moving to the next town that I ended up growing up in. Um, which is Guelph. So I was I was born in Huntsville and then moved to Guelph when I was like around close to five, six. And that's when I started doing more private lessons from mm-hmm. there. But yeah, it was just like just surrounded by music and art and the appreciation for it growing up. That's so cool. It's like like you were just sort of it's it's like genetic almost. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, because my grandparents as well, like my um, um, on both sides, they were also musicians. Um, I know my grandfather, uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, he played the trumpet, was also a violinist as well. And both, um, both of my grandparents, they also had their own ministries too on the island as well. So there's always like a lot of music. I was not born at any point in time when that was happening around but that's definitely <laughs> what I've heard um so yeah it's definitely been passed around all the family like we all have I also have cousins who are in the music scene as well and doing their thing so it's pretty it's pretty cool seeing how all of us are venturing within our own innate nature of who we are within the arts that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> so I'm wondering also, like, well, clearly, like your family again, like it sounds like just genetic, the <laughs> just being uh steeped in like music and art and like that's beautiful. How who else has impacted your journey as an artist? Um, and like who who is a mentor to you or just who you like really looked up to who's like influenced you? Oh, oof, that's def- definitely a good list of people. Um, but someone that truly stands out to me um, was my former piano teacher who, who passed just a few months ago. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> she was definitely, she was like, because I never had a chance to really grow up with my grandparents because they all, um, majority of them died before I came around. And I only knew my one grandmother just a little bit, but I was still too young to really be able to build a relationship with her. So my piano teacher, somehow, some way, she dealt with me throughout my entire teen years. (laughs) 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 And every time I'm like, how did this woman do this I have no idea um but she was literally like a grandmother to me um and she was very strict but sweet but she definitely shaped me or helped shape me into the person that I am today especially in the classical scenes so she she like dug me into all sorts of genres and styles and playing techniques in classical, contemporary, and romantic era. And a lot of the times I focused on like specific composers. And at the time, like when I was throughout my teens, like towards like preteens, teenage years, going to my 20s, I had a a very difficult time 
um, emoting verbally. So my main way of describing how I feel was always through music and especially through piano because um, I legit have problems trying to say how I feel. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times I was in spaces where I felt like I couldn't say how what's going on with me because I felt like either either no one wanted to listen but also getting bullied a lot of times so it was like very I was very Mm. isolated as a kid (laughs) um so music so yeah music was definitely a voice for me and so she really helped me be able to truly share how you can translate it without words and put it into melodies and into songs and that's something that one has always interested in me but two since that was already like came natural to me in a sense she really helped me really hone it and throughout the number of injuries and everything that has happened over the course of the years she just stuck it out with me I'm still like how and why but thank you (laughs) Cause she also she's also been she also went through a lot of shit in her life and I think she just had this aura about her that was just so beautiful and so genuine like you can literally just feel her energy as soon as you walk into the room and that was just so intoxicatingly beautiful and I think like she's definitely definitely one of the people that had a major major impact in my life. Mm. <laughs> that's I, that is really sweet <laughs> so special and i i gotta say that i can i i feel like i can uh hearing that now i feel like i can hear her impact in your music because i was thinking like this feels very like emotional and cinematic you know like like big feelings through melodies i mean there's also like what you do with the voice but even just through you know the chords and I was like oh this just like you know swells you know of emotion (laughs) so I that's so beautiful that like I I see where uh you know where that started Mm. yeah yeah there's yeah thank you (laughs) it's like yeah I also I've also just been obsessed with large sounds my entire life because mm-hmm. there's just like yes. it's just I just love epic sounds epic cinematic yes. sounds and it's like I want to do that but I'm like but I don't necessarily want to copy anybody I want to see what I can do with in my own way mm-hmm. right and so a lot of the a lot of the times like I know for a fact that my music is not something that you can just like you know, listen to while you're on a walk and easily <laughs> enough. But it's like that's okay. That's okay, right? Um, because it's I I noticed without without realizing that there's a lot of a lot of yeah deep emotions that go into it. Half the time I don't even realize that I'm doing it by accident. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Um, so much so that I had like a couple of my friends. Helping my friends say they're like Morgan, I love your music, but half the time I have to prepare myself because otherwise it's like it's a whole state of mind. I'm like, <laughs> I get that, I get that, but but yeah, no, like uh, like movie soundtracks has always been my favorite thing. So it's like I want to be able to like build on that, but how can I do that in a very alternative, rocky way, but not quite, and just play with sounds. Playing with sounds is just fun. 
it's just fun. It's fun. Yeah. And then like the effects and everything. It's, it's a fun time. Like what can what kind of weird can I come up with now? Like that's the whole exploration part that's super fun for me. Oh, I love it. I love it. I <laughs> I could continue to nerd out about cinematic sounding things, but I'm I'm gonna let I'm gonna let my co-host get in. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that we talked about when we met when we were on that panel is you know creating spaces that are you know especially within opera and classical music and all these spaces that are anti-racist that are you know safe for queer folks for um other um folks of marked uh, marginalized identities and I know that that's something that's really important to you and so I am just sort of curious to get your take on sort of especially like given the last few years um <laughs> of just insanity of being a human being on earth but of course um being a yep. black person on earth being a queer person on earth um are there any new spaces that have opened up for you or any new challenges that you have found or anything that you've um been willing to try because I, I I'm I or or gotten the opportunity to try rather um because I guess the big question is like can this be an anti-racist space you know given you know so much of the programming that we're we're seeing and so much of just the history of this art form I've just curious about your take on all of that. I know that was a huge question and I just asked you like eight questions, but like, feel free to pick one. No, <laughs> I, one I, you like the I, most. I love, <laughs> I, I love the big questions. I love the big questions. Um, it, 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 it is, it is a very difficult thing. And I'm saying that very lightly mm-hmm. in a very sarcastic tone, but it is very, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, um, so a lot of the times I will I will say that I am very, very grateful that I have friends and peers who are also of the similar mindset as we are. And when they're just sick and tired of this, it's like, let's just create our own space. Um, you know, because a lot of times there will be spaces where they don't want to change what's going on because of fear of change mm-hmm. of but that fear of change is just wanting just basic human equity and equality and especially if you're not somebody who can who's either a part of like POC communities or queer communities it is understandable to to, like to a degree where it can be hard to understand what's happening but even if you want to be like an ally but you're not too sure like there are resources and steps that you can take Um, but I think because especially in a lot of our a lot of our western traditional um classical contemporary culture it's so deeply ingrained to just always focus on just the one thing and barely expand it to something else which I I find is is kind of sad because even if you think of it like even like 
centuries ago or even just like even just 50 years ago when there was new music they would still bring out those new pieces those new opera works those all these new works to be celebrated and they would have that as like a full season but now it's almost as if that's it, it seems to be rare in the case nowadays mm-hmm. and so yeah I see people who I've witnessed those who are just sick and tired of the same thing and just legit doing their own thing creating their own spaces um because it's not accessible or even safe to be in those spaces you know and I think that's both an incredible thing but it's also like it shouldn't have to be the case that that's the reason why we're creating these spaces we should be able to create these spaces because we want to and not just because out of the lack of what's of what's unavailable or what's unsafe mm-hmm. you know it's it's so my whole thing no matter how long or arduous it is i will forever champion safe spaces mm-hmm. forever champion safe spaces and will focus on highlighting those organizations and communities because they do need to be highlighted and they do need to be recognized. And how else is that going to happen if I'm not actively a part of that or we're not actively a part of that? So there's always some way or some form of building blocks to be able to build that, you know, but now it's just slowly but surely, like, you know, like, but the main thing is people are tired. People are tired <laughs> of taking crap now. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's been too long. <laughs> it's been far too long. And we've dealt with too much on our backs. And so it's just like, we're re- like, I I see so many people ready for a change. Because like, nobody wants to take it anymore. Like, we're we're done we're done mm-hmm. and honestly i i noticed that a lot of organizations are scared of that because they're realizing that one they're losing people and and two if they don't change their mandate or their missions that's really going to look bad on them so on on both a pr view but also on a community view it ain't looking very good <laughs> it's, right mm-hmm. People are tired. It's like I'm tired. Like you know. Yeah. yeah. No. And I've I've noticed that you know there there seems to be this very big shift. Um. You know, in 2020, it was like, oh my god, we have to change all of these things. None of this is working or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm a big proponent of like everybody knows everything. We've been dealing with all of this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like sort of, you know white supremacy on our necks <laughs> for 100 everybody yeah. knows this <laughs> like even if they don't yes. have words to put to it and the shift has come in the last three years where now it's like you know especially like edi work has shifted to like you know oh teach us please teach us what we do and it's like teach you what you already know because you already because uh-huh. you knew in 2020 <laughs> you knew there was a problem <laughs> like exactly oh, my own privilege <laughs> it's just like uh, y'all it's... what what are we doing exactly like and when it comes exhausting. down to that and like it's, it's exhausting and when it and when it comes down to that you know it's like and the thing is oftentimes they expect it for free mm-hmm. if 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 
if you're going to put me through that, or if you want help, you know, you can pay. We have fees, you know, again, because that's also reliving trauma and having to describe our trauma for their understanding, mm-hmm. you know, especially to degree. Now, like, don't get me wrong, like every everybody's different and we all have our different levels of what we're able to do. And if you see that there's someone genuinely wanting to un- to learn and be educated, like absolutely go for it. But a lot of the times it's it's quite difficult and it takes a lot of energy and a lot of our own time to be able to to do that and to share that, you know? So it's like definitely EDI and, and it's, it's important, but be mindful of mm-hmm. how you're going about it and especially what you're going to do after that because you can't just bring somebody in and then listen and then do absolutely nothing because then what will be the point of that mm-hmm. it's completely counterproductive of everything that you're trying to do and it's disingenuous you know? and it's abusive <laughs> it's painful it is. <laughs> yeah. it is it is like the number of times that my younger naive self I, oh yeah many many hard lessons but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> but like literally being a trophy for an organization because you know they're saying oh like it's literally just to fill in the seat mm-hmm. with a black person just fill in the seat or like with like any any per- person of color just to fill in that seat like you come in with the incentive of asking me for ideas to improve or to help with changes or to help to diversify your audience but you're not even going to listen to what I have to say I'm like okay I know I'm young I get that but it's like if you brought me on here for a reason what are you going to do about it nothing so it's like wasting like my time with it and again it was thought I it was with the group that I thought that I felt comfortable with or that I trusted with but I realized it was only just a short few people and I and definitely you learn you learn that you learn that quickly especially when it comes down to having to make executive decisions um or a part of like a board who makes those executive decisions and honestly if everybody's not on board with that it makes it so much harder and it's like yeah abusive <laughs> it really is yeah <laughs> it really is ah yeah i just had flashbacks <laughs> oh my God. well happy friday everybody <laughs> all the love and peace in the world <laughs> oh but how like how has that been like for you, especially within like in recent in recent months and in days and everything. Ooh, for me? Yeah. Um ooh. Yeah, it's it's you know, it it can be very, very just emotionally draining. Um because for me, you know, it's not just um, you know, my job. 
Um, but it's it's who I am. You know, I walk into these spaces. I am a black queer man. <laughs> um, and, you know, I am, you know, I, I think we talked a little bit about it, um, you know, when um, Julia Bullock was on the show a couple of weeks ago. And um, I, I went into it really feeling like, you know, I just sort of had the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like I have to, it is my job to dismantle hundreds of years of, you know, racism and white supremacy or else I am not doing my job. And like Lee all the time would be like, that is, no, <laughs> no. stop doing that to yourself. Um, yeah. and, and I had to really sort of um, take it on on sort of an individual level. But I do get really, really frustrated when it's like all of a sudden these people are coming to me and it's like, teach me, teach me, teach me. And it's like, you already know this. And it and it really becomes like this, like the way that we're always sort of talking about, like sort of how, you know, you try to dismantle white supremacy culture and it just sort of regenerates itself. And I think uh -huh. this is like the process of that, of just like all of a sudden, like, oh, we know there's a problem. We're going to dismantle it. But now I'm just like a little baby and I don't know, like, <laughs> teach me how. Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden you're just sort of like, okay, like, I guess let's go back to square one. Cause like everyone's brains just re reset at midnight, I guess. <laughs> I I always worry that some of the issue is that people haven't really sat with what it is that they're asking for and then when they get it they're like oh this is not what I wanted because <laughs> yeah exactly you know, equity is asking you know, it, it is um, the expectation of equity is that people who have gotten more are suddenly understanding what the experience is to not get more than other people um, undeservedly, right? And, and I mm -hmm. always feel like that's a part of why there's this weird push and, and pull because I think that's just a really hard thing to process. And I feel like for those of us on the other side, especially those of us who are underrepresented in terms of our um, gender identity and our, our racial understandings of ourselves, instead just have to say, this is the thing that I'm doing, right? Here's what my project is. And you know, my project is a commitment to Black joy. And I am using my art, I am using my admin skills, I am using the little bit of personal money that I have to sort of move the whole thing in that direction. And a new thing that I have started asking Black creatives every time I meet them is, what is your project, right? What do you want to use your art to communicate, not necessarily to the rest of the world, but to us, right? And I'm curious, Morgan, if you have that kind of a perspective about maybe what it is that you want your art to say to other people whose demographic identities tick the same boxes as yours. Oh, gladly, <laughs> gladly. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, so actually, to kind of like um, give a little bit of a background to what it is I write about. So many, many, many years ago. So I 
um because my, my my dad passed away like a good few years back but growing up because I would write songs and I was composed and everything um in my mid-teens and he would try and he would record it I, I love my father but we, we did we did have a little bit of a difficult time and so he always felt like my music was too honest and always try to change the lyrics to suit what would be best for mainstream media right but I never felt comfortable with that I didn't want to have to mute my own voice to make other people feel comfortable because um, he's like oh it's too depressing or it's too serious it's like nobody's gonna listen to that I'm like okay so then I stopped recording songs but never really stopped writing so I like writing poetry and everything throughout throughout the years and but I never really recorded my singing for a long time I just focused strictly on piano and classical because I was like training as a concert pianist and was ready to go full up for international competitions and going um like basically going to school for it and everything like that um but it was a path that I was going on but I embarking on but I wasn't sure if it was actually something that I truly wanted to do um because I still wanted to explore everything that was out there in terms of um exploring sounds and meanings and references so when I moved out when I moved away from home um it was when I moved away from home um my dad mine and my father's relationship we it started getting much better which is great um but then like he then he passed after that and it took me a good two years before I felt comfortable really singing again. Um, but I never stopped writing. That was my thing. I never stopped writing poetry or composing music. Like, I, it kept going. I just never physically recorded. Um, and so having moved out the house and and ironically, like, with the changes in my life at the time, I finally felt free to really 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 say what's on my mind um, without any kind of fear of being held back and so unknowingly just over the years um, having studied so much of western traditional music and having to kind of like kind of learned the basics of a lot of the languages like Italian, Latin, and um, Spanish, and French. Well, I speak, I speak French fluently, but just kind of like focusing on a lot of those, on those Western languages, right? But also realizing how the colonial aspect or the colonial impact that it has on music education, how it loves to put themselves in like the pedestal of everything and like no other form of musical education is valid. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other discussion for another day. Or <laughs> <laughs> for today. That's a whole for today. <laughs> that's all I'm telling you. So what I ended up doing is, but for one, I was always very interested in like Gothic periods and eras and, um, and anything that has to do with just history. I'm just, I'm just, I'm very much a history buff. And I decided that a lot of my music over time had implements a lot of Latin text, but more so of the fact of kind of like reclaiming the language that was taken away from us and, but being used in a westernized way 
to reiterate the fact of its colonial impact. So the words that I say in Latin is not to praise that culture, but it's more so of, okay, I am basically dogging you down now. So just to let you know how it feels, what you've done with our languages that were taken away from us at the past time. And so my music specifically speaks of continuously seeking freedom for our communities and our right to speak and standing up for ourselves, as well as celebrating our joys and what we've done in our world in this time. So essentially, it's kind of like creating like a separate voice not necessarily an alter alter ego because it's still myself but to directly reference this an example of it would be a commission that I was asked to do um actually a couple commissions I was asked to do that I decided to tie together um I created basically like a short form of a requiem um called requiem for the lost and it is about the stolen voices or the voices that were forced to silence um, by those who like basically, you know, like by those who are, you know, forcing us to not be able to speak our minds or be who we are. And so there's just this ominous voice in the background who's speaking for all of those who had passed or all those who had died, just kind of like just haunting your subconscious, just haunting you from the back. And it's just like, I speak for everybody and there is something happening that you don't exactly know what's going to happen, but just be aware or beware of what's to come. And so that voice is now silenced to that. Um, so that's basically what the Requiem for the Lost is about, is this one ominous voice. And that's a theme that tends to continue or has a ongoing chain throughout my discography. And like the second commission that I connected to that is my ancestor summons me. So you'll hear the voice of an ancestor talking to their, talking to the next generations of like, don't worry, I am here with you. I will comfort you. I am your son. I am, I am this for you. So you will never feel like you are alone as the person's continuing to basically fight for their life just for existing. So that's that's kind of like a lot of the themes or the main projects that has been that I've been working on in terms of continuously describing in my music in both in instrumental aspect as well as the vocal aspect. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> well, I'm super curious about one thing. I know we said it was a a uh a whole a whole episode on its own and i'm sure it will be for us someday but just talking about education music education um in particular and i'm just curious you know what are your thoughts <laughs> as somebody um who has been through um sort of the conservatory system and all of those things and what needs to happen sort of in the music music education space to you know more uh, robustly, let's say, support <laughs> folks of color, queer folks, et cetera, et cetera. 
Ooh, I am loving this. Oh, I'm loving this. Um, well, first off, to stop putting Western music and languages on a pedestal and seeming like it is the only worthy way or only way to prove your worthiness as a musician. That is something that really makes has put a bad taste in my mouth because mm. you're basically telling everybody else who does not study that or or has a music education under that specific umbrella that they're not musicians or they're not, not good enough. Like that seriously brought me the wrong way. And instead of it, instead of having it as like a separate course, one separate course, might I add, or very few separate courses, unless you go in the direction of like getting your degree in it, is how like world music is just one separate thing. But then everything else encompasses Western traditional music. Like that balance does not seem right to me. And well, it's just like, the fact that it's called world music. Right? <laughs> it's just like, like one little thing. It never made sense. It doesn't it make does, sense. It makes sense. <laughs> we lumped the rest of the whole world into one category. Into one category. And even then, they ain't got the right things in there. In terms of <laughs> in terms of actual education of it all, it's like it, it it's 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 putting every yeah like it's putting everybody together in one category but then you're not even diving into what the actual culture cultural reasons behind every single rhythm every single movement for every single continent or every single country and you want to put that underneath one one chord I'm sorry. How does I mean, that the math ain't mathing on this? It's absurd when you like say it out loud. <laughs> so like it's it's well for one, for one, not to ball it up altogether, to actually take time and create separate degree programs for it. If you want to, if you want to get a paper in it have separate degree programs in it or at least in like the whole musical sense not have it just strictly for western traditional music but make sure that you have your students um to actually get to know as much as they can to build musicianship because the whole thing about musicianship is you're never stop learning you're never an expert in just everything or just one thing like you have to be able to be open to what is out there and also what is your birthright if you are poc what is your birthright it is your it is your right to know what your culture is what is innate to you musically historically artistically um just all those things it is our birthright bingo and yahtzee <laughs> uno <laughs> feel very strongly about that yes thank you thank you so it should not it should not there shouldn't be a value put on that of the worthiness of what our birthright is for each and everybody and 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 what they just decide is just oh no we'll just do oh no aida and madama butterfly is the perfect representation mm. Mm. And I know we all know how we feel about that. 
<laughs> I believe we fired them both out of the cannon a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. We know they're <laughs> inadequate, <laughs> to say the least. And ready to light that cannon again at literally any minute because none of our feelings have changed about that. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's just downright insulting that still in this day in the 21st century, in 2023, that there are still opera companies that do that without even hiring POC and even when they do that's the only time they want to hire us mm-hmm. like how does that how how is that right again you're just rebuilding and just regurgitating that trauma for people and they're not even thinking about that at all so yeah there needs to be an, an addition to actually you know having a separate program for each and every individual thing because nothing should just be balled up together there should also be a separate course of on on honestly just a straight up equity and equality course and and how to actually listen to like communications it should be a part of communications which i'm sure there must be some form of it but in terms of actually understanding the reason why this is an issue, it has to, it has to be a part of this. It's just, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a lot. Yeah. I didn't mean to stress you out. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! It's all good. See, see, the one thing, the one thing I love about this is how we're all able to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And we're all, you know, in in our places where we feel comfortable and relaxed, and we got whichever teas or coffees or whatever beverages we prefer to sip on during this. So, <laughs> no, I am, I am Gucci. I am so Gucci right now. This is just like, no, 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 no. Oh, good. Well, we that's what we we that that's always our aim when we have guests in our home. <laughs> yeah. I, as I as as I'm continuously learning about things, I'm an airy, so I get fiery. So oh. and I and I'm understanding based on my horoscope, I get kind of fiery about things. So it's it's just a part of my nature, okay, apparently. Okay. Huh? It's well, totally fine. Well, you are you are talking to two Sagittarians, so. And I'm a Gemini rising, so I will never shut up about it. So, <laughs> yep. so this is perfect. Yeah, this no, is this is per- perfect. Per- perfect job for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking at the clock and we only have a couple minutes left. Um, but I want to make sure that we get what you're currently working on out to the people. So what are you working on right now? What's making you happy? And how can people um, catch up with Morgan Page Melbourne and learn all the fabulous things that you're doing? Ooh, well, currently what I'm working on is actually still under wraps and is a little bit of a secret. Ooh, okay. But but secrets, honey. We got we got we got we got some we got some secrets, you know. (laughs) Wiping a little bit of the of the baby hairs and the sweat off my brow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, but definitely we um there's there will be really really big things in November um happening then. Um, but in the meantime, you can find me on all my social medias. Instagram has my link to everything. 
which is at all lowercase morgan morgan dot page dot m you can find everything there i still have my music up on Bandcamp as well if you feel so inclined to listen and to support the arts that i do but yeah otherwise everything is still in production and a little bit under wraps so i can't quite say much about it for for, for right now but yeah all right well we were Cannot wait till exactly. November till all the secrets are revealed, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, all of those links um, to to Instagram and Bandcamp and all of that good stuff will be down in the show notes. So everybody, please go check out Morgan Page and her music. And we are so excited and honored that you spent some time with us today. Thank you so much for being with us. This was so fun. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This was so wonderful. It was so lovely to uh, chat with you all and and be a part of this. Thank you. Oh, yay, yay, yay. Thank you. <laughs> and we will be right back, everybody, with Pure Black Joy. Woohoo! Yay! Yay! <laughs> Right, and we're back. Thanks once again to Morgan Page for being with us. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. That was wonderful. Yes, Yay. it was. Yes, it was. Um, and now it is time for our favorite segment of the show. Paige, are you ready? Ready. And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. It's peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, PB and J time. I just love, I love this. I love that we have landed (laughs) on this like smooth, quiet, warm moment. Oh my goodness. Yes, everyone. It is time for Pure Black Joy. It is the time when we highlight some of the Black people, places, music, art, food, things that are making us super duper happy this week. Um, I'm just going to go first real quick um, and just say that last week um, the Renaissance tour started in (laughs) Stockholm and I can feel my queen getting closer and closer and closer. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like my superpowers have been activated. I'm trying everything in my power um to um not look at the spoilers not look at the concert footage i have been mildly successful um (laughs) (laughs) i've only watched two songs i've watched um heated and energy um but that's it and i think i have (laughs) and i think i have my outfit together i bought some very cute purple shorts that I'm very excited <laughs> about. But anyway, Beyonce. That's my pure black joy. Thank you so much to Beyonce and to Tina Knowles and even Matthew Knowles. <laughs> Not even. <laughs> For blessing us <laughs> with such artistry and grace. Okay, that's my pure black joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I maybe looking at outfits? 
right now. I've several tabs open <laughs> as I because I saw the concert footage this week, maybe. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I have a friend that I, I went to elementary and high school with that I haven't talked to in, in ages, not because you know anything salacious or anything, but just because we've lost touch. Found out she's now an uh, an influencer on TikTok. Oh, oh snap! I know. <laughs> so follow oh. her. I cannot remember her handle off the top of my head. But hey, Jessica, Jessica Wagstaff, shout out. Um, <laughs> but she did one about like what she's gonna wear to the Renaissance story. And she's like, everybody out here is just gonna be dressed like a slore, and we just need to just accept it <laughs> <laughs> and just lean in and I was just like yeah that's that's about right yeah. <laughs> anyway I'm sorry yeah I that's what I plan to do I mean that's what I'm gonna do so you know why not you already know why not a certain someone in my life was like, I'm, maybe I'll wear pasties. And I was like, if there was ever a time to, oh. mm -hmm. this is it. Well, that's an idea. So, you know, wear your, wear your, your pasties, wear your, your bootyless chaps, um, all those <laughs> <laughs> situations that you have, your mesh situations that you got <laughs> in the back of the closet. <laughs> um <laughs> Because Beyonce is in town, and who's gonna check you? I mean, who's gonna check real. you? <laughs> and I did get served on Instagram um, an ad to a a rhinestone glitter cowboy hat, and I'm seriously oh. considering it. <laughs> yeah, that algorithm, like, man. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> they advertised to me a whole purple rhinestone. With a matching hat, cowgirl outfit, bodysuit situation. And I was what? like, so you know I have tickets to Renaissance? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they know. <laughs> this, is, this is highly specific right now. <laughs> yeah, we're the, the vinyl singlet with the with the bum out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, all I'm getting is like West Elm ads on my social media. My <laughs> algorithm is just not clearly. Well, you're just a different kind of gay. <laughs> it's, it's all the same family. It's all the same family. <laughs> Meanwhile, mine is like, do you want need a new body chain? <laughs> Twenty percent discount to jock straps are us. <laughs> That's what my algorithm looks like right now. <laughs> well, my pure black joy um has to do with another musical icon. Mm. Um the uh Missy misdemeanor oh, yes. Elliot mm -hmm. will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You sure will. Yes. <laughs> wow. Or actually, I, I think it just happened. I think it already happened. I may possibly. Um, so I, I I was also, honestly, when this happened, I was also like, so she's not already? Um, Seriously. 
but you know, you know, mm-hmm. now is better than mm-hmm. never. I'm glad mm-hmm. you know she is here to smell and receive her flowers. Yep. So many flowers that folks have given her. I I love it. I'm here for it. Missy Elliott was just so formative mm-hmm. to my life to just (laughs) representation as a weird thick black girl Mm -hmm. like she was just I don't know just a shining star to me in my (laughs) childhood and you know the dancing and the costumes and you know her flow and that she could be a tomboy or still be real overtly sexual and uh, just yes give her all the flowers induct her into every hall of fame oh absolutely her... <laughs> <laughs> no question <laughs> yeah all yeah. the things absolutely. all the things she's absolutely going to be getting like lifetime achievement awards yeah. coming up soon i can see that for her because there's just already that body of work that she has so yeah and 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 it's so fresh with her sound that mm-hmm. new girls still want to work with her mm-hmm. still want to work with her kids who are coming up who are like 18 year olds mm-hmm. little girl groups and stuff are like we need to get missy like uh an icon just so deserving, <laughs> so deserving. And also host of the most slept-on reality show of the mid-2000s, Missy Elliott's Road to Stardom. That was an amazing show. Oh, that was a good show. Mm -hmm. That was a really good show. Nobody thinks about it. (laughs) If there is a rerun, some reality TV reruns to watch, I might It has to be somewhere. It has to be streaming somewhere, because it it was so good. It was so fun. Yes. (laughs) I bet she she runs a, 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 a... competitive but wholesome show i feel like (laughs) (laughs) or am i wrong were there fights were there brawls i don't remember there being brawls i remember it being pretty pretty wholesome but it was just like it was just fun because they were all on a tour bus and they would have to like battle each other and then like she and like her two homegirls would like they were the judges and like it was just quite cool. I remember we saw me, me and two of my friends saw one of the contestants like in a bodega, like buying a forty <laughs> in Philadelphia, and we were like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> "This reminds me of one other thing to to just praise Missy for real quick is mm. that she also has always consistently uplifted all the elements of hip hop, mm-hmm. yeah, in." Yeah her work in her music videos from b-boys and b-girls to the dancers the breakers the shoot there's even graffiti in some of her videos like just really embracing like the whole culture she's a real one just mm-hmm. yeah shout out to missy Three. She and I uh, have that weird family connection. I think I've told the two of you, but not said it on the show. Her mom and my dad were classmates um, in in high school, so um, I've always felt like a a bit of a a kinship 
with her because I enjoyed hearing a couple of uh, rather humorous stories about the, the antics of our parents ages and ages <laughs> ago. So um, also shout to uh, I.C. Norcom High School in Portsmouth, Virginia, class of 1971. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a very brief piece of um, uh, PB&J that is actually something of a, of a, how do you say, a, a revisitation hmm. of something that Paige shared a few weeks ago. Hmm. Um, I watched Queen Cleopatra uh, which is part of Jada Pinkett's African Queens. Uh, oh, I didn't yeah. realize that that was a part uh -huh. of it. It came up yes, the I, yeah, you no, know, yesterday, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah, um, it's uh, part of Jada's franchise. It is excellent, oh, right? And okay. I think there, you know, there's a lot of this conversation around what I read one person referring to as blackwashing the I the decision to <laughs> cast right um Cleopatra <laughs> like for once with a darker complexion woman of African descent seemingly has turned the world on its ear and I think it's actually an important conversation that we should be having about um actors identity um the unreliability of the historical record when it comes to placing black people mm -hmm. in the moments where we fully existed right and also shifting definitions of what it is to be black or white like i, I mean i just think the conversation is kind of wild looking at it from that kind of historical perspective but all of that aside the the uh series is great adele james who plays cleopatra is absolutely wonderful um i think she's got a huge career mm. in front of her and Yay. i would encourage folks to uh check it out because awesome. it's an important part of black history mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah shout no out to the talent that they seem to have found for that show because mm -hmm. same thing that i had comment that i had about um in jenga the first season just the lead actor i hadn't seen her before but mm -hmm. Shoot, I hope I hope you <laughs> ladies they're casting continue to get work because it sounds like they're killing it. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm definitely gonna watch that because like I was on Netflix yesterday and I was and it came up and I was like, oh, what is this? Like this is interesting. And I ended up watching something else. But like, <laughs> no, I'm definitely gonna go back to that because like that sounds awesome. Yeah, you you absolutely should. And if I may plug one thing, I, mm. I, I know we're over quote time, oh. um, but I am <laughs> going to be on a podcast on oh. Tuesday. You're cheating 16th. on us. <laughs> well, I, I got me a new man. Out in the open, I guess. <laughs> right. Can we pause, Lee? We need to talk to you real quick. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Cheating um, on a Sagittarius—that's a choice. I, I, I <laughs> it's called Fluency with Dr. Darrell Cooper, and he talks to um, arts artists, art administrators, arts educators, really about, you know, what it is to be 
uh, Black and an artist in this moment where we are having so many inflection points. Um, he asked a lot of really thoughtful questions. Um, and it was also just really fun to be on the other side of the table and, you know, sort of have to pause and think about how my work actually might connect to the, the broader ecosystem in a way that I don't always have to sit with, right? Like usually if you're an administrator, I feel like you, you think about your work being finite and, you know, sort of contoured by, this is the organization where I work or the city in which I work and this is the work that I do. But he asked me a lot of questions that reminded me that like, this is kind of a movement and it's great to be a part of the movement. And it's also great to be on a show where he's had so many guests that I am, you know, I'm really enamored of their work. Uh, Garrett McQueen, Chris Emden, Majora Carter. Um, it was it was just a, a very happy conversation. So y'all should check that out if you are struggling with the Lee Bynum deficiency and get you a little, <laughs> little dose of vitamin Lee. Oh my God. Ooh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Ooh, okay. All right. Have. <laughs> well make sure you send me the link to that and i'll put it in the show notes absolutely okay sounds good well everyone go check that out go check out morgan page melbourne on all of her socials and Bandcamp, and please go buy her music support her um and i think that's it for today um oh before we go, though, we should say last Sunday was Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mamas. And um, any words of wisdom, y'all? Make sure you take your vitamin Lee. all right and with that i think we're out make sure that you rate and review us and subscribe five stars please and some words i haven't actually checked in a while maybe somebody wrote some words did y'all do the 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 score challenge because that's still a thing go to apple five stars and just write the word perfection period all you have to do and with that i think we're out for another two weeks i'm super excited about our next show h do you wanna do you wanna give a little preview or should we just let them be surprised um Hmm. I'm gonna let you be surprised. Okay. All right. Well, it's gonna be fabulous. <laughs> I'm gonna let you be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So stay tuned. So so stay tuned um, for a wonderful surprise in two weeks, and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.